Welcome to Geared for Growth. I'm your host, Mike Mortlock, Managing Director of MCG Quantity Surveyors, your tax depreciation experts. We're talking the property investing journey from start to finish, and we're talking about a topic today, due diligence, which is kind of has a place when you're looking at the property itself, but also when you're looking at your strategy and the areas and those sorts of things. So to cover off due diligence, we've got Bobby Hayari from the Investors Agency. He is an expert property investor himself. He is a buyer's agent and he talks to us about the nuances of due diligence from how does that property fit within your property investment profile. Let's have a look at the area, the demographics, and then of course things like bushfire and flood zones and easements and caveats and those sorts of things. An awesome interview with Bobby, which I'm sure you'll enjoy, is Bobby. Bobby Hayeri, welcome to Geared for Growth. Thanks, Mike, for having me. How was that pronunciation on the surname? Mate, it was perfect. If, if it wasn't for you know, your skin being so fair, I'd think you're Persian. <laughs> I was just about to say, I could almost be Persian if I you know, could grow a beard, didn't have my hair cut, a skin type that is probably melanoma. But um, <laughs> anyway, you can't change everything in life and the, maybe the grass isn't always greener. But uh, Bobby, it's a pleasure to get you on the show. And specifically today, we're talking about due diligence. So due diligence might feel like one of those kind of vegetable topics, right? Like we talk about buying the property is like the dessert but the vegetables is, you know, the planning and your why and your strategy. Due diligence, though, to me kind of seems a little bit like, okay, is it in a flood zone? Does it have an easement? Because I might want to put a granny flat on it. But I understand from your perspective, due diligence is a really broad thing. Can you explain a little bit about that? Yeah. So with, with due diligence, there's an array of things you, you have to look into. And, and, you know, as a buyer, the first thing you want to look into is, is do some due diligence as to on a personal level, like what's your risk profile? Are you comfortable buying in a regional market or a metro market? Especially now with the RBA just announcing that interest rates have just gone up and they'll continue to do so. Do your due diligence to get an understanding of what your cash flow positions are. Doesn't mean that now you shouldn't be investing in property. It just means that maybe if you're looking in properties that were returning a 5% yield, maybe look in markets that are returning a 6% yield. So there I think all, all the things that buyers need to do very early on in terms of their due diligence. And then from there, it's all the things that you mentioned, flood zones, bushfire zones, easements, caveats, and all, all the, I guess, the more macro things that people look into as well. Yeah, I haven't I hadn't really thought of sort of doing due diligence on the investor, right? Doing a bit of a triage to say, okay, well, they've come to you and they said, Bobby, you know, I want to buy an investment property. And you say, why? And they say, oh, I'm paying too much tax and my uncle's got a property and it's gone up, you know, 60%. Obviously, though, there's a few red flags there where you kind of go, all right, well, we actually need to do some due diligence on you, right? Exactly, exactly. Spot on. And and, and I, I always have a bit of a chuckle when I hear people or see people on, on the socials or on a Facebook group, they say, oh, I've got $500,000 to spend. Where's the best suburb? Or yep. it's like, or, or how long is a piece of string, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and in that example, it's okay, uh, you know, I've got 500 grand, where's the best suburb? But what's obviously missing is, well, how old are you, right? Like, are you in your 50s and you're wanting to retire in 10 years? Or is this your first investment property or do you have six negatively geared properties or are you all kind of cash flow there's a million different reasons why you can't just put a suburb to a person and that's enough right 100 exactly that's right so it's all those things that you just mentioned you also got to get an understanding of 
what the buyer is, is trying to, to achieve. And I'll give you two quick examples given the current climate at the moment. So most of our clients, there's two, two types of clients. One type is the rent vestor where, well, there's two types of rent vestors. One type of rent vestor is they want to create a passive income so their income can help pay their rent. Then there's another rent vestor who wants to build up equity so then they can buy their own occupied house in their ideal location, whether it be in five or 10 years time. Yeah. Now you've got two people, both of the same age, both are making similar money, both from similar areas. They're going to be buying two completely opposite properties, right? One's going to be a high cash flow, generally, you know, seven or 8% in a regional market. The other one's going to be in another market where you might only be getting five or six percent yield or four to six percent yield in the outer metro markets or lots of regional markets are also booming but i'm just generalizing to an extent yeah. you can sort of see there you've got two avatars who on the surface look identical identical but they're buying completely different properties yeah it's an amazing world we live in now where four to six percent is an ordinary yield <laughs> i just that just kind of strikes me right it's like oh you were only getting four percent gosh so Bobby, let's let's zero down. Let's let's sort of remove the, I guess, the planning part of the equation, and and let let's say you've got a very clear brief with the person, and you're looking at a property, and it and it meets the brief. It meets kind of what you want to put in the portfolio of that person and their goals and strategy and that sort of stuff. How do you start the process, and and what do you look at when you're going? Okay, this is a property that we may want to transact on. We're either going to buy it or we're going to rule it out. What what are some of the key things you look at? Cool. So we've already selected the market then. I guess what you do when you selected the market, you want to make sure you're buying in the right pockets within within that market. So I know you touched on how specific, but the kinds of things you want to know for, for a market is you want to make sure you're buying in the good streets. Yep. You want to make sure you're not buying next to public housing. You want to make sure you're not buying in one of the pockets which have a high demographic of crime or, or whatever it might be. So there's pockets within pockets and this is the sort of uh, due diligence you want to do when you select, a, I guess, a, a region. But then from there, when you've selected a property, I mean, the things we look into, flood zones, you touched on that already. Easements is a big one. You want to make sure the property doesn't have an easement. Easements on boundary lines are not uncommon, but you still want to be, be mindful whether they are there, whether they are not. Obviously, for those listeners who, who aren't aware, if there's, there's easement on the property, like a stormwater drain or something, you can't build within a certain distance of that stormwater drain. Bushfire zones, obviously another big one as well. If you want to do development, there's things like noise noise pollution areas which can significantly increase the cost of your development down the track which a lot of people don't know about um, so they're the sort of sort of due diligence that you want to do on the property itself but then when I guess valuing the property uh, well, I guess there's caveats as well but your lawyers can do that but when valuing a property what you want to do is look at the comparable sales and that's essentially how we value a property for our clients. I was having a chat with one of our clients this morning and the agent had listed the property for $350,000 and we said the target price should be $365,000. And he was saying, well, if it's listed at three fifty, dollars why can't we just buy it at three fifty? dollars And I had to explain to him, well, look at these five comparable sales they've sold at $400, $480 and $475 uh, and they're smaller land sizes. Based off that, we think four, six, uh, sorry, $380, $365 and $400. Based off that, we think three, um, $365 is a good deal. Uh, so it's a matter of sort of understanding what market value is, not not what agents are listing. Yeah, we've got a whole other episode on agent price guides and it is an absolute quagmire. So I found it interesting, obviously due diligence people tend to think about the very sort of market 
micro level, like there's a stormwater drain on that sort of thing. But you're you're also kind of looking at, all right, well, due diligence to see if this is a worthwhile investment is, is going to really consider where does this property sit within the market, you know, and I guess that depends on how the market's moving, right? Because we've been in cycles very recently where property prices are going up so much that the comparables can be out of date if they're like a couple of weeks old, right? How important is that to get right and how difficult can it be to do the sort of comparable due diligence in those sorts of markets? Yeah, really good, really good point you make. So in this climate, some markets have started slowing down slightly. However, in a lot of the markets, they're still ticking on at the same pace. But um, when the market was booming at the rate it was in, you know, across the whole country, comparable sales that were more than sort of six weeks old were not accurate anymore because, you know, you, your market may have gone up 5% or 3 or 4% in six weeks, literally. Um, but what you can do is you look at the comparable sales and then you need to be on the ground to, to get an understanding of what's been happening in that market over the past month. So what I mean by that is if you take Sydney, for example, I use Sydney's Northern Beaches, Comparable sales may have dropped 5% in comparison to what they were sort of three, four months ago. But what we've seen now is days on market has increased. Uh, properties which were selling within three, four weeks of going on the market are now selling within six weeks of going on the market. And auction clearance rates have decreased and properties aren't going to as many auctions anymore. So while comparables from a month ago can be inaccurate at times, if you are on the ground every day, you can look at data points such as days on market, such as auction clearance rates. If you see days on market decreasing within a suburb, but then you see, sorry, if you see days on market yeah, decreasing within a, so I use the opposite, I guess, um, in terms of a booming market. Yep. If you see days on market decreasing, however, you see stock on market increasing or listings increase, that's a very accurate, I guess, prediction to know that it's a market which there is far more demand than supply. And even though there's more supply coming on, it's getting, um, I guess, bought very, very quickly. Yes. And the Give for Growth Property Investing podcast is presented by our business, MCG Quantity Surveyors. If you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients, please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximize their claims and maximize their property education as well. If we can zero in a little bit more on the micro due diligence, when it comes to trying to find whether there is, uh, say, development potential or stormwater or caveats like right-of-ways, how can the mere mortal person that's not a conveyancer or a buyer's agent that's doing a million transactions a week uh, hope to to understand that. Can you talk us through, are we able to find this with council inquiries? Is it looking at the 149 certificate in the in the contract of sale? Where, where do people go to look to, to do some of this due diligence? Yeah, really good question. So in terms of easements, um, there are, for most councils, there are quite thorough um, easement maps online, which you can find. For most solicitors or conveyances, they'll do these checks for you and a lot of them will do it for free as part of their service as well. What were the other things you mentioned apart from sort of the stormwater? Uh, yeah, so stormwater, say right-of-way or development potential. Yeah, so with development potential, I mean, we use Archistar. Archistar is a, a paid subscription model, but the easiest way for the um, average person is just jump on the phone with the council. If you're doing it for yourself, you're only going to be buying one property every couple of years, most likely. Um, so if you're spending a few hours on the phone to the council, it's not going to take up too much of your time. 
But for, for those of us who are sort of doing it every day, ArchiStar for me is, is the easiest, simplest tool. In terms of caveats, your, your solicitors and conveyances can give it advice on that as well. Yeah. And what are some of the things that really impact the value of the property? Let, let's say something that you would say, okay, well, I'm actually thinking that this is not a property that we would recommend to a client. What are the kind of walk away things that you might find during due diligence? Flood zones. Yep. That's your, obviously very topical at the moment. Exactly, that's right. So flood zones would be probably at the top of that list also because your insurance costs will skyrocket if you, if, you are, if you are buying in a flood zone. Sure, your insurance might cover it, but if it's costing you $8,000, dollars a year to insure that property, then it's not worth, it's not worth going near. Um, so that's a big one for us. If it's a property that we're, if it's a client we're looking at for with development potential, then easements are a big one. Again, like I mentioned, on the borders of the property, it might not be a big deal if you've got a thousand meter lot and there's an easement running through the middle that lot is not going to be um, totally totally useful power lines and power lines are a big one as well so we find generally uh, properties that are close to power lines or substations you're probably getting a 10 15 decrease yep. on that property yeah. now some people they might be comfortable there you just need to be realized when you want to resell you're losing you're not going to be able to sell it at that at that market price yeah. And if we're giving the council a call, what sort of questions should the investor be asking them? Like, so for someone that sort of isn't exactly sure, how, how would you guide them to say, look, um, I'm looking at this particular property. What can you tell me about it? Yeah. So I'll just say, look, I'm, I'm looking to purchase this property. I'm thinking of doing a, a or if you are thinking of doing a development on there, you'd say I'm thinking of splitting it up into two, I'm thinking of doing a granny flat, whatever it might be, do the council zoning restrictions allow me to do so? Uh, and they'll refer you on to a town planner who will call you back generally within 48 hours and they'll give you that information. Easements, I'm not entirely sure if the council has that information. We get that information on CoreLogic RP data. If you call the council, I'm sure they will have that information as well. Yeah, yeah. And when it comes to the due diligence process itself, there's a, a few different players right the the solicitor or the conveyancer assumingly uh, will do a lot of the due diligence on the contract and the terms of the contract but will they likely be looking at things like the easements as well or is that something that you would do as a buyer's agent i'm just trying to figure out who normally does what in the due diligence side of things so we would normally do that before getting to the stage of the solicitors because if the property has an easement we may not want to engage a solicitor yep so we would recommend doing that as your first stage of due diligence. If your property is not in a flood zone, if your property doesn't have any easements, if it's not in a bushfire zone, if it doesn't have any caveats and ticks all the boxes that you need it to, then you can get the solicitor to review it. And it's state by state. So in Queensland, uh, Western Australia and South Australia, for example, it's very normal to have a contract signed prior to solicitors being involved because the contracts are standard. You just got to make sure your terms are in there and make sure that the easement maps in there if it does have an easement. But it's very common for solicitors to get involved afterwards. Whereas in New South Wales, you need to make sure you do all your due diligence first before signing anything because... If you pull out, you do lose a large chunk of your deposit. Whereas in the other states, your deposits are fully refunded. So it is statement. It is it is case by case. Like for, for us, we have we have exchanged on contracts for clients without having solicitors involved, depending on the timing and the urgency of that matter. That's because we're looking at 50, 60 you know contracts a month potentially. So so we're very familiar with what we need to look at in those three states. We would never do that in New South Wales. Yeah. But for the average person who who is buying one property every couple of years, you always want to get it reviewed by a solicitor or conveyance before doing anything but before you get them involved because they might charge you for a fee 
try to do your own due diligence to make sure it ticks all your boxes. Yeah, beautiful. And I wanted to ask you about some of the things that I've seen in doing my sterling preparation for this interview. I googled. Right, that's the that's the level of quality we're we're running at here, Bobby. Um, a, a couple of the things that I saw on these online checklists is looking at things like the number of say rental properties versus owner occupied properties in a location, and then there'd be things like the you know what people might term as walk scores, you know, proximity to schools and and shopping centres and those sorts of things. That I suppose is built into your due diligence before you're looking at the property and the parcel of land and what's kind of effect. It. Is that fair to say? Yeah, correct. So we, when we get presented our markets from our economists, they're looking at the percentage of owners to uh, owners to renters. They're looking at the walk score. They're looking at access to um, amenities such as schools, hospitals, um, shops, restaurants, all that sort of stuff. So our economists essentially do all that for us, and then they get they give us the markets that they think will outperform the average based on a whole list of criteria. But for those of you who and only buying you know one every couple of years or doing it yourself and you don't have access or, or it's not feasible to pay for that kind of data you do want to look at that sort of thing and i guess one of the reasons why percentage of renters to owner occupiers is extremely important is because generally speaking the higher percentage of owner occupiers within an area it's going to be the higher higher demographic there'll be less supply of rentals which means puts investors in a great position to charge the rent that they want. Yep. Um, generally, a high, higher owner-occupied area is more sought after and people are quite house-proud. Emotional owner-occupiers are generally the ones that pay a premium overpriced for properties. So that's generally the markets that will see higher capital growth. So there's a whole variety of reasons why the percentage of renters to owner-occupiers is important. Yeah, and and we talked about sort of the gentrifying areas and the the percentage of people that are owner occupiers in in previous episodes, and that's an interesting thing, right? Being house proud. I mean, if you're an owner occupier, you're much more likely to say renovate the property, and you know that might not matter if it's just one house in your street, but if it's ninety percent of people are renovating their property every five or ten years, or just keeping it fresh and maintained, that affects the whole kind of neighbourhood and community and the house prices with it, right? Hundred percent. Well, people are renovating, people are upgrading their homes. Uh, that's adding equity to your property and adding value to your property. So every property that sells or every property that gets valued keeps getting higher and higher above the above the median or above the average. And if you're if you've got your investment property in that in that pocket, it's going to be very hard for the valuer to value your four-bedroom home a lot cheaper than all the other four-bedroom homes, even if they might be slightly nicer and renovated, it's very hard for that valuer to 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 not allow yours to, to keep up to an extent. Mm, that's a good point. I need to start maybe knocking on the door of some of my neighbours, although they might be looking at me saying, I wish that bloke could fix his up a bit. It's He's affecting our house prices. Um, Bobby, can we finish up with a couple of tips? I don't know if you've got, say, two or three tips for, for people when it comes to the due diligence. What are the main things you'd like them to take away from, from this interview? Yeah, good question. Probably the first thing would be having an understanding as to what what is best suited to your requirements? And that was the first thing I touched on. That's the number one thing. Um, you can't just say, where, where's the best place to buy for under $500,000? Like I said, do you want it to be regional? Do you want it to be metro? Are you comfortable with Western Australia or do you want to stay to the East Coast? Do you need it to be less than 10 years old? Do you need it to be less than 30 years old? Um, there are so many different 
I guess, factors in terms of due diligence, which is the first thing you need to ask yourself. There's no right or wrong. It's what sits right with your risk profile and comfort levels. But in terms of, I guess, what every single person should do when, when selecting a property, I think we touched on them already. Flood zones are a massive one. Um, bushfire zones is another one. And, and easements as well, which is probably more important if you're doing a development. Yeah. But, but it is super important. Beautiful. Those are absolutely key things that I think all investors need to make sure that if they're not sure about that, they've got a buyer's agent or a solicitor or conveyancer or hopefully a team of everybody who is very, very sure on that. So that's awesome advice, Bobby. Thank you very much uh, for joining me today. Hey, pleasure, to, pleasure to come on. Thanks, Mike. Cheers. Cheers. 